Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. How do you explain dinosaurs or the theory of evolution? Is astrology anti-Christ? How can we hold creation and science in tension? Can we believe in both? Hopefully thoughts like this keep us curious enough to keep asking questions and to find peace in the fact that God alone knows all things. In this week's message of the week, we hear from Pastor Jen Tyler, who shares from Acts 17. She will tackle the topic of science versus faith and dive into how they don't conflict as much as you might think. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. pray together. Faithful and loving God, as we listen for your word in this time, we ask that you would open our ears that we might hear you more clearly, our eyes that we might see you more clearly, and our hearts that we might love you more deeply, as you rid us from any and all distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So when I was in college uh, as an undergraduate student, one of my favorite classes that I took was an entry-level anthropology course that I was required to take as a part of my sociology degree. Now, when I started taking this class, I admit that I thought it sounded horribly boring. Uh, I expected the class to talk about ancient civilizations and history with a little bit of science thrown in, and those are not my favorite things, or at least they weren't at the time. But what I found was the scientific study of how people live and survive and relate to one another can tell us not only about where we have been, but also a bit about where we are going. And so specifically, I remember hearing some statistics that caught my attention and really drew me in during a particular documentary that we were watching together. And in this documentary, there was a scientist narrating the video who said that every group of people known to live on earth, past or present, had as a part of their culture and way of life, a belief or a form of spirituality um, that formed an important part of their daily lives. And so for most groups, he said this this spirituality or their way of believing in some kind of higher power was something that was life-giving to them, that there was in each and every one of these civilizations and cultures a higher being that we would call God that they revolved their life around. And so never before, he said, have they discovered a group of people who did not have some kind of system of belief of a higher power. Can you believe that? Isn't that interesting to find that no matter the culture or where we are or the kind of people or where we come from, there's a belief in God or something that they might call differently that we would call that. Now, for most of us, I think we take for granted the fact that we grew up learning about God. Many of us were baptized when we were little, or we grew up going to Sunday school, or we grew up talking about it at home where we learned about Jesus and the stories of our faith traditions. But can you imagine not having these experiences or people who could teach you some of these things? Even if you know that we live in a world where maybe you have friends or know people who don't believe in God or who didn't weren't raised in Christian homes, can you imagine living in a world where no one talked about these things, where it just didn't exist? Language, 
tradition and understandings of the world around us are understandably different for different groups of people all over the world or even all over our own country, maybe even all over within Christianity, right? As we believe some different things that even, but all draw us together of believing in Christ. All over the world, we believe different things. And yet we know that no matter where a group is, no matter what we might have in common otherwise, no matter the kind of language we use or the understandings that we hold, every group of people has held some kind of belief in a higher power. Science, and more specifically anthropology, has said so and has even proven this. An amazing kind of evidence that I find fascinating as it makes me wonder then why we have so much perceived tension between science and faith. If every group of people ever known to live on earth has had some kind of belief system and science has proven that, then is it not possible that we could believe in science and faith? Now, to answer that, I think we first need to dive into some of the tension and where that comes from when people pit science against faith. Because for the most part, when is science and uh, faith, when are they pitted against each other? When we talk about what? Creation, right? Even in the passage that we chose for today, we find that it talks about the importance of creation. So we're going to talk more about this, but I want you to hear what I mean first as I read from Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. We live and move and have our being. Here ends our reading today. I appreciate the ways that this points out the basics of our faith, that in God we live and move and have our being. But the opening verse of this passage that I read begins by telling us that God made the world and everything in it, which leads us back to that question, right? Creation is when we find this tension because people want to pit creationism against evolution. That's the conundrum, right? How do we explain this particular science when we believe that God created human and the whole of the world? Now, questions like these, I admit, are among my favorite kind because I have never been a person who sees things in black and white. Right, I tend to believe that we live in what I would call a gray area, even though sometimes I admit the black and white is easier, isn't it? But when we live in these gray areas, that it is that in between, gray is when we talk about something that is neither, that is not so easy to understand, that isn't as simple as a yes or a whole no. When I think of these gray areas and the importance of the creation story in our Christian faith, I think of stories like the creation stories that are told in Genesis. Are you all thinking of the story? We know the story of creation, right? Now I wonder, when you think of the creation story, what creation story are you thinking of? 
Are you thinking of the first one that's found in Genesis 1? When God creates the earth and all that is in it in seven days? When we know that God on the sixth, on the first day created all of the heavens and the earth, and then on the sixth day created humans and called them good, very good, in fact. So good that God rested on the seventh day. Or maybe when you think of creation, you think of the other story found in Genesis 2. The story in which we are told that early on, as God is creating all of the heavens and the earth, God does this not in six or seven days, but that first God creates man, not humankind, male and female made as an image, but first it says in Genesis 2, God created man. And then later we are told God created woman made from what? from the dust made from Adam's rib, right? Right. So if man is created out of dust, the woman is created from his flesh. Do you hear the difference in these stories? Did we know there were two stories that were not actually one in the same? Some of us, I wonder which story you thought of when I said the creation story. Do you think that some of us who thought of the one in Genesis 1 are the ones who are thought of the right one and everybody else is wrong or vice versa? It's easy to think that we are right depending on what we choose to focus on, isn't it? But more than right or wrong, we know that the only one who knows exactly what happened at that first creation is who? God. None of us are all right or all wrong all of the time, except for God. God, who has revealed to us information through these divinely inspired texts, texts that should leave us asking not who is right or wrong and which one is accurate or not, but what can we learn from them? What do these texts have to say to us about who God is? Because the only thing that we know for sure is that God was present then at the moment of creation of all of the heavens and the earth, and that God has been present ever since with every person and every group who has ever lived. Because no matter where we come from, we know that it is in God that we live, that we move, and that we have our being. Now, how do we know this? Not just because the text tells us that doesn't hurt either, but we know this in other ways too, don't we? We know this because we have studied it, we have practiced it, and we have experienced it. I wonder if you've ever experienced this in the ebbs and flows of our lives. I cannot be the only one who has ever had spiritual disciplines float in and out of my life in different seasons, right? Sometimes I am up and praying every day and doing my daily devotions and reading scripture. And there are other seasons when I struggle to do that at all, let alone for the amount of time I think I should be doing it. Maybe there've been seasons in our lives like the season of Lent when we're a little better about it because we're intentional about having practices in that season when we practice our faith in this time in different ways, intentional ways. Maybe some of us have learned through these experiences and ebbs and flows of our lives that no matter what, we know that when we lean in, when we spend extra time trusting in God and practicing our faith, we learn not just that God is with us, God is always with us. But when we make ourselves more available to God, we benefit great more from the results of that, right? Not only in our spiritual health and well-being, but in the ways we can care for others too. The more we trust in God, the more we learn to share that love and that faith with others. 
It's kind of like having our own faithful experiments of sorts, isn't it? We can prove, we can't, excuse me, we cannot prove those positive changes that we have in our lives when we are closely connected to God. But since faith by definition is belief without evidence, I'd argue you don't really have to. But your own experiences can still teach you that, right? Because of faith, we don't have to be able to prove something to know that it's true. Now I say that, needing to also acknowledge that that doesn't mean we should throw reason out the window. Reason is an important part of who we are. We can't just believe whatever we want. We know that God has given us the ability to reason and to critically think, to think complexly, to ask questions. God has given us the gifts and the ability to critically think through things, to ask questions, to try and understand the world around us in different ways. Yes, even using science. So if God has given us these gifts and these abilities, should we just be ignoring them? Or should we be leaning into them? Is it okay to pit science and faith against each other as if to suggest that they can't both align in healthy ways? Because I don't think so. One of the specific questions, if you wondered why I'm talking about all these things, is we have been doing this series throughout January, talking about living into our questions. I invited our congregation to ask any question that you want to ask about life or faith or God. And one of the specific questions asked as a part of this series was how we can possibly explain dinosaurs or the theory of evolution. Because can we really believe in evolution if we also believe that God created the earth and everything in it? Now, for me, this is an intriguing question, especially at first, but the more I have thought through and prayed through this question over the years, because this is not the first time I've been asked this question as a pastor, the more I have thought about it, the more I have come back to an almost overly simple kind of answer of like, well, why can't you believe in both? Why not? After all, we do believe that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing. We believe that God can do all things and that through Christ, even we can move mountains. And with faith like that, why wouldn't we believe that God create, could create beings in our world that are so complex that they'd be able to adapt to the world around them, that they could even evolve with time and over time? Sometimes I think we get so caught up in focusing on what's not in scripture that like dinosaurs, for example, right? And the question of evolution there, where did all these dinosaur bones come from if they aren't in the Bible? Sometimes I forget, we get so caught up in questions like this that I think we forget that the Bible wasn't written as a handbook to all of the world and the questions that we might have, that not everything in all of creation is gonna show up in scripture. I joked earlier that my dog isn't in this Bible, but I know that he's real and the best dog in the world right? But we also know that we evolve, right? We adapt, maybe is a more comfortable word, in small ways as well. I know that a month ago, when it hit in the 30s, high 30s, mind you, for the first time, I was freezing cold, and I was swore I was never going to be warm all winter. And now that it got to 30 degrees this week after being 80 degrees colder with the wind, I sure think it's lovely and warm out there, isn't it? We adapt with the world around us. And so the Bible isn't meant to be an instruction manual where we should be able to find every detail of questions that we have, but more instead, it is meant to be a guide. It is meant to be a source of truth that helps us to more fully understand God and God's work in the world. And we know this because of what we believe and know about our faith and our experiences. And we also know this because of what we know about science. 
if science by definition is the pursuit and the application of knowledge and understanding, then should we not want to be open to using all of the knowledge that God has provided to us in order that we can faithfully live and care for the world around us? Not that we can have all the answers, of course. God is the only one who knows all things, but it's good for us to wrestle with the questions. Now, one of the world's most famous scientists that even all of us know, Albert Einstein, he once said that the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. Even a scientist, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. If the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious, and we lay that quote next to one that considers what we believe as United Methodist people. We have a discipline and a whole series of articles written about what we believe with how we interact with the world called our social principles. And the United Methodist social principles state that science and theology are complementary rather than mutually compatible. That's what we as United Methodists believe at the heart of it. And so I believe these next to each other leave us in a beautiful place where we can, as Einstein says, experience the mysterious. Because God is so big and so powerful and so all-knowing that we will never know or understand all of God's ways, all of God's methods. And yet, God isn't threatened by our attempt at such understanding. In fact, God has given us tools to ask questions, to seek conclusions, and to live into grace, especially in those gray areas when our science leads one way, maybe our faith another. When that happens, I wonder not which is right or wrong, but what are we not seeing in this? And is there maybe a third way beyond our understanding that can explain the things that we think we know? Uh, German theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann once asked that when he asked, do you understand what you know? Do you understand what you know? I can't be the only one who does not understand everything that I know. I know, for example, the easy example that I am standing here in front of you today because of gravity, right? That is why I'm not floating into the air. Do I understand gravity and the complexity of how it works? Absolutely not. But I know that gravity is what keeps me planted on the ground. So when it comes to things like science and faith, I am not the only one, surely, who doesn't understand everything that we know. But hopefully, that longing, that questioning, that searching for understanding can keep us searching and longing and wanting to learn. Hopefully, it keeps us curious enough to keep asking questions and to find peace in the fact that God alone knows all things, even if God also delights in our longing to more fully know and understand the world that we get to live in and to be a part of. Because with the knowledge that God loved all of creation enough to make the world and everything in it, we are invited to honor God by being aware of God's presence, as it says in Acts 17, as we live and move and have our being, as we get to be a part of God's creation, including the creation and gift of knowledge.
And these ways, maybe our science and our faith, they're not so different after all. They're not such a contrast after all, but maybe one is an invitation to dive deeper into understanding of the other and vice versa. May our faith and our trust in God be big enough to live in those gray areas and to know that in the things that we think we know and the things that we have no understanding of, that we know that God holds all power, that God holds all truth, and that there is grace in the gray areas. Let's pray together. Faithful and loving God, we give you thanks for your abundance, for the gifts that you pour into our lives of knowledge, for the times that we can understand the things we know and the times that we can trust in you when we don't. May you help us, oh God, to live not into the tension, but into the beauty of the unknown and to give thanks for you, oh God, our maker, our redeemer, our creator, have created all that is and all that ever will be. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.